Well, you know, I was thinking about today, as I thought about my sermon, I thought, now I'm going to be preaching on Sunday morning, July the 4th. And on this day, we celebrate the birthday of our nation, our country. And as I pondered that, I thought, well, you know, it would also be a good time to celebrate our spiritual birthday and then to think about how the journey has been since we had our spiritual birthday. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think most of us, we may not know the day, date, and hour, but most of us can remember when we feel like we asked Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, to come into our heart and make us a Christian. I can remember that as vividly as if it were yesterday, and it was not yesterday. I was a little boy, and I do well remember when I had that feeling one Sunday morning in church, did not understand what it was, told my mother about it when church got out that day, and she talked to me a little bit about what it means to be a Christian, and then she asked the pastor to come to our home, and I still remember that Saturday he came to our home. I was so nervous. I, 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 was, I, I thought God was coming. You know, I was a little boy, and the pastor's coming to our home, and he sat down in our living room and took his little Bible and opened it up, and he went through the old Roman road, which is how many of us came to know the Lord in the olden days, and explained to me what you have to do to be a Christian, and led me, and I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my heart. Now, then I was I was a little, about seven and a half years of age. And so from that point on, and somewhere out there, uh, I don't remember the day. I do remember the day, Saturday, but I don't remember the date. But nonetheless, I remember that experience. And I hope this morning, not necessarily you have to know the date, but you remember where you were when you feel like that you made your commitment to Jesus Christ, and that became your spiritual birthday. I know both of our grandchildren, they're big on that spiritual birthday deal. In fact, they're so big, they think we're to give gifts on their spiritual birthday. And you say, how do you know? They tell us what they want. That, I mean, they, well, you know what? They probably are doing it the right way. We should celebrate our spiritual birthday. Would you not agree with that? And just thank the Lord for it. Now, from the moment you had your spiritual birthday to this very moment, you've been on your journey. I have been on my journey. Just like our country, 245 years ago, the birthday of America, okay? We've had a journey thus far of 245 years. Now, for our country, you know, as you, as you look back and then look present at our country, spiritually, How's our country doing on its journey? Well, our country spiritually is in a mess. It's in a mess. You say, well, yes, but we have a lot of other messes. My conviction, every mess we have in America, politically, medically, economically, just whatever realm you want to jump in, we're in that mess. That is really... That's not the mess. That's the result of the mess. The problem is that we spiritually in America just continue to drift and drift and drift. And somewhat like the church we're going to look this morning have many in America now just believe they can do it without God. 
Now, folks, hear me this morning. You can believe that all you want to believe that. But the fact of the matter is we can't do it without God. Now, we can do whatever we do. But what we need to do is look how the thing ends. Look how the thing is. Now, many, many Christians, is they think about, well, that was my spiritual birthday. I remember that. And I've been on this journey. And as I look at my journey, spiritually, my journey is a mess too. And, and many other Christians would say, in fact, I think most all of us would say this, okay, from the point of my spiritual birthday, here I've been on my journey. And what I would say about my journey is this, and I think it's what you'd say about your journey. I would say, well, I'm not in a mess spiritually, but I'm nowhere near where I need to be. And that'd be the testimony about all of us. And let me quickly say, you and I never will be until that day Jesus comes. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse 6, the Bible says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. And so, none of us will be all God means us to be till Christ comes for us. But listen, we can move more to that point. We can, we can move to the next level. And that is what I want us to think about this morning. Now, if you'll open your Bible, please, to the book of Revelation in chapter number three, we look today at the last of these seven churches. And I must say, not just because I'm preaching on this church, I, I really believe this, this, this church says more to us than maybe any of the other churches at all. It's very, very interesting. Now, we need to understand briefly just a little bit about Laodicea, the city of Laodicea. Of course, it's in Asia Minor, and we've been talking about all that, but here's, here's what you need to remember about this city. This city was very unusual for several reasons. Number one, it was a banking center. In that entire region of the world, the city of Laodicea was like, it was like an early <laughs> Wall Street. Banking had a tremendous impact on this city. In, an, in, an, in some way, I, I would say it this way, it was kind of also an industrial city. You say, well, what do you mean? How would you have an industrial city back in, in the first city, in the first century? Well, the textile, the textile industry. Uh, because in this area, there was so much, uh, so much uh, uh, black wool found in this area that much cloth and carpet could be made. So if you went to the city of Laodicea, you saw that, hey, the banking industry has a tremendous influence on our city. But then you would have said, well, the textile industry uh, has a big impact on our city. And then thirdly, it was a medical center, primarily for ear ointment and eye salve. And so you take these three and put them together. It was the bread and butter of Laodicea as like where we live. Like we have, we have the petrochemical plants. Uh, we have the ship channel. We have NASA. You know, I was reading about NASA this week. They have just almost 18,000 people, but counting all the contract work that's done through NASA, uh, it, it goes up into 360-something thousand people have jobs that are spinoffs even today from, from NASA, and the budget is big. So I'm saying 
you, you look at any city you want to, there, there's, there's some things in that city that, that make that city able to function and to work. And that's the case of Laodicea. Now, here's the problem, though. In Laodicea, the banking and the textile and the medical, they had more influence over the church than the church had over them. Somewhat like today. You see, the Bible says we are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. But here's how it is. The world today has more influence over the church than the church does over the world. Jesus said we're to be salt and light. God's church should have influence over the world. But what's happened? God's kind of been put out of everything. And we could have a whole sermon. We could have a series of sermons on that. God's kind of been put aside. And now the world is the one with all the influence. And the church is kind of on the sideline. But that's not how God means it to be. Well, now with that little information, let's look in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse number 14. The Bible says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. Now, it's interesting. Jesus, these are, what, these are the words of Jesus. Notice how Jesus describes himself. These things says the amen. Now, that's an interesting statement. You know, if we had time, we would develop it. But in a nutshell, the etymology of this word that's translated amen just simply denotes that Christ is strength, Christ is truth, and Christ is wealth. So what Jesus is saying is, you know, it's in me that you are complete. If you want to write down a good Bible verse, write down Colossians chapter 2 in verse 10. If we had time, I'd, I'd really plan to go back and read all 10 of those verses, but time won't permit that. But that 10th verse says, you are complete in Christ. And see, that's why people have self-esteem problems. That's why people turn to this and that and whatever to try to find their identity in life. People, our identity is found in Christ. And that's what he's saying. He's saying these things says the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And, and that word, that word beginning literally means the originator, the originator. <laughs> Write down another verse in Colossians chapter 1 in verse number 16. The Bible says, for by him all things were made on heaven and in earth. See, Christ you know, if, we ever, if it ever clicks for us, you know, I don't have to look a certain way. I don't have to be this. I don't have to be that. I am complete in Christ. And you are complete in Christ. And this is what he's saying. And he says, beyond that, he said to them, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, let me stop just a moment and say, in this area, there were found these hot mineral springs. And that water, you either had to drink it with it hot or you had to drink it with it cold. If you drank that water lukewarm, 
it would make you be nauseated. And that's the people of Laodicea knew exactly what Jesus was talking about when he talked about lukewarm. Verse 17 is the key verse I want us to see. Jesus said, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, if you looked at your bulletin, you see that my sermon title says, Thou Sayest and Knowest Not. If you have the King James Version Bible, the 1611 translation uh, in verse 17, that's how it translates it. It translates it, thou sayest, now we don't speak that way anymore, but they did in 1611, and knowest not. Now the newer translations say, because you say, and then it goes on to say, and do not know. Then Jesus said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich. Now remember, they thought they were rich because of the banking industry. And white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Now remember, <laughs> the, the textile industry making cloth from the wool, they thought that's why we're rich. What Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Uh, there's something far better than that. And then anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Remember, the medical city, big on eye salve. And he said, no, I have an eye salve that is going to help you see what really is matter and what's spiritual. Then she says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. That word zealous talking about enthusiasm. You know, there ought to be enthusiasm about Jesus. Could I have an amen to that? You know, you can have football season and, and your favorite team scores a touchdown. The stands just roar. And then we gather as God's people. Or we talk with our friends about God and the things of God. Uh, there ought to be the same enthusiasm about Jesus and about God as there is about a ball game. Or about anything that you might involve. Then verse 20, now remember, Jesus, by the way, Jesus, you remember, founded the church. Like Jesus created the church. In Matthew up in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus said to his disciples, speaking specifically to old Peter, he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. The disciples didn't even know what he was talking about. <laughs> they didn't know what a church was. There was no church. And then... After Jesus ascended, and then 10 days later, the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost. That's the birthday of the church. Well, what Jesus is saying now, he's right into the church. So he, he originated the church, and he gave birth to the church. But look what he says to this church. I stand at the door and knock. Now, Jesus is on the outside of the church. You know, I fear, I fear if we're not careful We'll finally get today in Christianity, even in America, Jesus kind of be on the outside of the church wanting to get in. <laughs> it's his church. He originated the church. He started the church. You go to Europe. You go to many of those countries where these beautiful churches are, and they're museums. They're selling pamphlets. 
nothing going on anymore. It used not to be that way. And that very same thing is happening. It already happened in the church at Laodicea. So what we're seeing today, it's not new. It's just at a different level. Jesus standing outside the door, and he says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him, dine with him, and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Now, if you'll take your bulletin, this will be fun. We'll do it quick. This is very interesting. I asked the group Wednesday night. I asked the group Wednesday night. I said, Sunday, I'm going to be preaching on the church Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. I said, now I want, you to do, I want you to do something. Read that scripture again and email my office what you think the problem was in this church. And, oh, I don't know about, when I left Friday, about 15 or 20 people had, uh, had emailed in. Now, there may be more emails. I'm going to check in the morning. And I said, those who get the right answer, I'm going to give a gift. And... Uh, then after that service, Dottie asked me, what, what are you going to give them? I said, I don't, well, I don't think anybody will answer anyway. It won't matter. Well, I was wrong. People are answering. What am I going to give Wednesday night? We ought to show up and see. I don't know. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll honor my word. But, but I won't have to give too many gifts because most of them said, and, and I understand why. In fact, even in my Bible, you have a little thing over each, you know, like what kind of church is most said the problem with this church is it's lukewarm. Now, there were a few. By the way, nobody said exactly the right answer. But words, you know, you can't just be legalistic about words. There were, there were some that probably did give the right answer, maybe just gave it in a different word. But in your bulletin, I want to give you the whole deal here because this is so very important. The problem with the church in Laodicea was not that the people were lukewarm. So you want to write that word down. Being lukewarm was the result of the problem. This is so very important. And then let's just go and deal with the next little blank while we add it. The problem in the church at Laodicea was that the people were self-deceived. Now, that's what I was looking for when I said what I said Wednesday night. And several people use words that would really mean that, and they're going to get their reward. In fact, I'm going to make this statement, but now the office will know when these, when these emails come in. Any email coming in effective this moment on won't count because I've just given the answer, okay? But uh, any that came in on the weekend will count. That, that was the problem. You say, well, now, Pastor, the Bible says, Jesus said, because you're lukewarm, neither cold or hot, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Yeah, that's, that's the result of the problem. That's not the problem. The problem is self-deceit. They had deceived themselves. Now, now, look in your Bible in verse 17, that circle verse 17, here it is. You see, they said, we're rich. <laughs> Jesus said, you're poor. But they deceived themselves into believing that they were rich. They said, we have increasing goods to make us happy. Jesus said, you are 
wretched and miserable. They deceive themselves. See, many people today are doing the very same thing. But let's stay with them just a moment. You know, they said, we have need of nothing. Jesus said, you are blind and naked. Well, see, they had deceived themselves. The spirit of the Laodicean church was, we can do it without God. And you know what? This whole thing of self-deceit, it's a real thing. It is so easy, really think with me a moment, to deceive yourself. You, every realm of life, physically, you can deceive yourself. You can say, it just doesn't matter when I do this or whether I do that or whether I take my medicine or don't take my medicine or, or I do, you know. Well, it, it really does matter. But you can, you can deceive yourself. We think sometimes others deceive us. The person deceiving you the most is probably you. And the person deceiving me most is probably me. True physically, true financially. See, many people are in bondage to debt. They deceive themselves financially. They just kept buying, kept buying, kept buying, and thought somehow, some way, I'm going to work this deal out. Well, that's just not how it, it doesn't work out that way. Many people are house poor. They bought too much house. They said, yes, but I'm young, and when I get older, I'm going to get pay raises and this and that, and my wife's got a job. Well, she gets pregnant, and she doesn't work anymore, and the pay raises that are going up go down. See, a lot of people just deceive themselves into believing things that are not right. You can deceive yourself morally, and many do. We may all sometimes do. You know, some little thought goes through our mind. We think, well, you know, that's not the worst thing in the world. Well, I know what God says about it, but, you know, it's okay. Well, we deceive ourselves ethically. You know, people, you, you can just think, well, you know, this won't matter, and, you know, nobody will know, and it's no big deal. Well, it's not right. You see, right is always right, and wrong is always wrong. But we can deceive ourselves. And then, like professionally at work, people can deceive themselves. They say to themselves, you know, I may not be doing my very best at work, but I do better than she does. I do better than he does. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I could do better, but, you know, I, I think, well, you see, we just, people just deceive themselves. But the worst area is the spiritual area. It is so easy to deceive yourself spiritually. And I want to mention two or three little matters quickly at this point. One thing. Many people deceive themselves about salvation. Boy, this needs to be a sermon series. Churches, many churches are deceiving their people about how you become a Christian. You know, many people have, have convinced themselves, you know, if I'll just try to live a good life and do the right thing and, and yes, go to church and you know, I'll join the church and I'll get baptized and I'll, I'll be a, a good family person and an honest person, a decent person. Well, all that is good. That should be what we all as Christians strive to be. But none of that is how you become a Christian. You know, Jesus, when he began his preaching ministry, the first word he ever spoke, repent, that was his word. 
Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. See, the only way to become a Christian, and you know it, I trust, is to realize that you are a sinner and you need to turn from your sins. That's what repentance is. And ask God to forgive you of your sins and to come into your heart and make you a Christian. Not necessarily a formula of words, but whatever words you use saying that. But many people, they have this idea. I mean, I just, I, I get frightened about that. I spoke at a funeral. One, I had two funerals last week. One of my funerals, the predominance of people that were at that funeral, the best I could tell, uh, all were part of a, of a church that believes the church can save. People hear me. The Bible says Jesus saves. Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, and there's no way to be saved apart from the blood of Jesus. I wish I believed, and it would be true, I wish the church could save. I'd just pronounce everybody saved. But no, on the cross, Jesus hung, and what did he do? He pronounced everybody could be saved. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. So many, many people deceive themselves about salvation. Number two, many Christians, many Christians deceive themselves about how they will feel when they see Jesus face to face. Do you ever think about that? You know, I love that verse over in 1 John that says, when he appears, that we may have confidence and not be ashamed. Like one day Jesus is coming. One day Jesus is coming, <laughs> and we're going to see Jesus. I've never seen Jesus, but one day I'm going to see Jesus. One day you're going to see Jesus. And when you see him face to face, will you be ashamed? Or will you have confidence? Not that you've lived perfect but that you've sought to follow him. You've sought to obey him. But I tell you what, my conviction, there are many church members and numbers of them are faithful and many are not, that when they see Jesus face to face, they'll be ashamed to look at him because they live their life. He was on the sideline. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. No, no. This has been first, and that has been first, and that has been first, and that has been first. And this is the world in which we live. This is the, this is the way it is in church life to now. People, we're so blessed. We have so much. So many can't find time for God. And when they see him face to face, they'll be ashamed. I want to encourage you, don't live your life where you'd be ashamed to see Jesus. And then many Christians, all oh, many Christians deceive themselves about how they're going to feel when they stand before God at the beam of judgment. Where the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 10, that we are one day all going to stand before God at the beam of judgment. This is Christians now. And we're going to be judged by the works done in our body, whether they were good or whether they were bad. I, I think about that sometimes. I remember when we went to old ancient Corinth the first time, and I remember standing before what was then in Corinth, 
the, what was called the beam of judgment, where the athletes that won would stand to get their reward. And I thought one day, I'm going to stand before God at the beam of judgment, and I'm going to be rewarded by the works I've done for Him in my life, and so are you. And when I think about that, I think, well, how do I feel about that? Well, let me, let me wrap this up this way. Let me first say a word to you who are Christians. Number one, are you ready if Jesus came like for you this week? It could be. He could come this week for all of us. But it may be this week that you step out into eternity and you're going to see Jesus face to face. How, how do you feel about that? What things do you need to adjust, to reprioritize, so that when you see Jesus face to face, you won't be ashamed. You'll have confidence. You'll say, there he is. I've trusted him. I've believed in him all these years. I've never seen him, but now I see him. Now, think about that. How do you, what, what do you feel inside about that? And then a word to those who say, you know, pastor, I'm not a Christian. Or you may say, I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sure. I want to just say to you today, don't deceive yourself. Now, if you're here, I mean, obviously, you wouldn't be here if you didn't believe something about God. You wouldn't be watching if you didn't believe something about God. But don't deceive yourself. Believing something about God is not going to get you to heaven. If you are not certain there's been a time in your life where you have admitted to God that you are a sinner, ask Him to forgive you of your sins, come into your heart and life, make you a Christian. My dear friend, this morning, wherever you are, in the room or watching, this morning you can do that.